before Threadless, I, my personal experience with t-shirts was you go to the mall and you buy like a logo t-shirt, like Gap or Bum Equipment or Abercrombie or whatever. It literally has like the the company's logo on it. And that just, I hated that. <laughs> like, why am I going to, I'm paying money to promote some big organization that I don't care about. <laughs> Welcome to the very first episode of The Simple Bit Show, a podcast for creative people hosted by a puppet. That's me, Dan Cederholm. Feels good to be back. Uh, last spring, I decided to retire from Dribble, a company that my friend Rich Thornett and I co-founded uh, about 10 years ago. And it was after that, and sort of reflecting on what I learned over the course of that uh, 10 years uh, that I uh, ended up writing an article um, about those those lessons that I learned and figured, hey, why not make a podcast about uh, the things that I've learned and also interviewing other creative people, designers um, and, and business people about what they've learned. Now, one of those lessons learned was start with a t-shirt. And that's because uh, during Dribble's early days, when we finally had a beta ready for people to try, we ended up sending 50 t-shirts out, dribble t-shirts, uh, with a handwritten card, uh, inviting, uh, some friends and respected colleagues, uh, to try out the site. And I think, you know, sending them a t-shirt in a way kind of guilted them into actually checking out what we, <laughs> what we'd made. Uh, but it also set the tone for, you know, the talent that was sharing the work and what kind of work was shared. So it was a really critical time, um, to, to start that community on the right foot. I also recently started a t-shirt pin patch hat print brand called adventure supply company. And I'll be sharing the journey of that business here as well. Because I really don't know what I'm doing. I never have. So, hey, I thought if we're going to talk t-shirts, we have to talk to Jake Nickel, founder and CEO of Threadless, the t-shirt community that's going on 20 years strong, that is the dictionary definition of crowdsourcing, and uh, crowdsourcing for good, that is. Um, so, been a wonderful platform for artists, and I've been a huge fan for a long time, and a fan of Jake's as well. I can't thank him enough for taking a chance on this first episode and being our guest to talk uh, to talk t-shirts. Today's episode is sponsored by my friends at MetaLab, a premier agency that builds interfaces for tiny startups up to Fortune 50 companies like Lonely Planet and Slack and Google and Apple and Disney. And uh, they are just awesome. And I really appreciate them stepping in to sponsor this, uh, this inaugural episode of The Simple Bit Show. So let's get to it and talk with Jake Nickel about t-shirts and business and life and hiking in Colorado and alien life and, um, and much more. Hope you enjoy it. What is it about t-shirts? Cause I, I, I've always loved them too. And I, I don't know. I was a huge fan of threadless when you guys started have you always loved t-shirts or is it just kind of stumble on it or 
I'm curious about yeah. your history with them. I mean, I think t-shirts are just the perfect way to like show the world what you're about without having to talk to anybody actually. Um, like walking down the street, you can wear a shirt that describes who you are, um, makes a quick statement. I mean, I was thinking back to the first t-shirt I ever made and I think it was in my art class and it was like a lithograph print or something. Ooh, wow. And it was just, I was into graffiti at the time. So I made like an illustration of a spray can and printed it on a shirt. And then later made shirts for my skate team and, you know, for music I like. I always, when I went to a band, you know, a concert, <laughs> I would uh, yeah. make the shirt in advance, uh, you know, to support the the band that I'm seeing. So, Oh, sweet. To just yeah. like a, fa- a fan version of the shirt. Yeah, I would just make my own fan shirts rather than spending the 30 bucks at the concert. <laughs> I guess it was more like 12 bucks back then. But <laughs> yeah, it always was expensive, though. At, at yeah, show. it always felt like too much. I was a real poser skateboarder, too. Um, well, I was thinking about this recently, and I realized <laughs> that I'm not actually... I, in my memory, I was a skateboarder, but I totally was a rollerblader. <laughs> oh, nice. But, yeah. Whatever happened kind of to funny. rollerblading? Yeah, I got way into like aggressive inline skating, uh, wow. <laughs> doing handrails and stuff in Chicago. It was fun. Oh, like 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 skateboard tricks, but with rollerblades, right? Like exactly. Yeah, yeah which seems uh, way harder to me. Than... Our team name was Team Reflection, and so we made like wow. some embroidered hoodies for Team Reflection. Um, and mm. one of the guys, our our head of digital at Threadless, actually still has his because he was on the team back then. <laughs> <laughs> no way yeah that's amazing so it started like it started like organically with you like wanting to brand yourself or your team and yeah or, yeah and wow. even you know threadless started as a hobby it wasn't even supposed to be a business it was just i was spending a lot of time on an internet forum called dreamless and it was filled right. with artists um and so i just wanted to make t-shirts out of my you know the favorite my favorite artists on the forum um, so yeah, it was just kind of for fun. Wow. So that's where the name comes from too, then threadless. Yeah. Threadless started as a thread on dreamless. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Okay. Wow. Yeah. The first five designs came from literally, I started a thread on the, on the forum saying I had just uh, designed a shirt for this event that took place in London. And it was a, it was a competition for who, uh, got to whose design got to be the official event t-shirt and my i won and literally like an hour after that i started this thread asking people to post designs into it and i'll turn them into t-shirts and that's how it got started wow so right off the bat too it was like uh you know getting other artists involved yeah yeah, yeah. not just you making designs and, and it was even kind of a competition right off the bat because there were a couple hundred designs posted in that thread but i couldn't make all of them um, <laughs> minimum quantities and stuff yeah so yeah. um i you know we actually as a community kind of picked the top five by commenting on which ones we like the best and stuff and i made five and sold them at cost basically i almost want to nerd out with you on like production stuff <laughs> yeah it's like ridiculous i don't know how how uh I know, there's interesting so that is to everybody there. but yeah right but i mean early on like you know i assume screen printing was the only way to do it back then yeah screen printing and not only that very limited 
colors, you know, like we mm. had limitations on how many colors could be in your design. Cause we could only do, um, you know, two or three screens to start. It was, um, my co-founder right. founders on to did the production to start. No um, kidding. So wow. there was a lot of limitations there. And then screen printing, the advancements were just crazy too. I mean, there's presses with like 20 screens on it. Um, wow. Where you can do crazy, you know, amounts of colors and such, but, and then yeah, the whole digital thing has completely changed the game. Is that where it's at? You know, you, you see like the future of yeah. I mean, it's printing digital or for anything less than um, even like seventy two units. Mm. I, I mean, you can you can get the pricing out of digital that you can out of screen printing almost these days. Um, wow! And the quality is just blowing up like i mean literally you can tell differences every couple months in in quality improvements and you know there's certain graphics that i think print better quality than a screen print when you have a lot of gradients or you know like a photorealistic type print um sure that's hard to do on a with a bunch of screens oh my gosh yeah right yeah and then the minimum quantities for that kind of stuff you know for every screen you add it just um increases the setup costs and minimum quantities just get blown up but, you know, it's like any other industry going digital, whether, you know, music and photography are probably good examples. But um, I think for a while, you know, people were concerned that if there's a phone in every pocket with a nice camera, are, is, are like photographers not going to be relevant anymore? But they're totally right. still relevant. <laughs> you can still <laughs> make really great T-shirt design and really bad T-shirt design. The print method is kind of not doesn't matter i guess yeah no that's a great example that's so true yeah. and music too right like anybody can everybody has a recording studio in their pocket but, yeah yeah and there will always yeah. be a love for vinyl or you know film um mm. and but yeah they each have their place and, and what's cool is with each of those w- w- when an industry like that goes digital there's kind of all kinds of new exciting business models that form around it um, yeah yeah you know, with digital music going from stealing MP3s to selling them for 99 cents to streaming, you know, I mean, um, trying to, we spend a lot of time at Threadless thinking about, you know, what is, what is digital going to mean for, for fashion? Yeah, I bet. I feel like you're really pushing the envelope there and, you know, with your artist shops, for instance, which is so cool. and, And this is not, nobody's paying me or I should say Jake's not paying me to say this, but like, it's very cool that you, literally anyone could start a t-shirt shop. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It was, um, it's so cool. It was funny. You know, a lot of the first uses of digital printing were marketplaces, like going back to cafe press and Zazzle spreadshirt and all. Um, right. And right. then there's kind of a new wave of them with society six and Redbubble and such, but we kind of thought, you know, maybe we'd build a marketplace at some point, but, eventually it'd be cool if artists could have their own shop and not just be one in a hundred thousand artists on the same website, but have a shop for their own brand. Um, right. Right. And so we kind of just started there. Like we, that was going to be version seven of what we were going to build. And then we're like, let's just do that now (laughs) because that's really exciting. (laughs) It's funny. Like a lot of those artists who I originally, um, got to know on dreamless never submitted designs to threadless because they didn't want to, the point wasn't to like compete with other artists and, you know, have a one in a thousand chance of being printed, but 
with artist shops, I see some of them actually starting up their own shop because they love the idea of, you know, having their own brand. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And, and with, with zero risk, that's, what's incredible. Like, yeah. I mean, with, you know, without the digital printing, the, the minimums, you know, for some people just getting started, the minimums are, are too much. And it's just, it, you almost kind of get, feel defeated before you even started. So yeah, for sure. Um, and being able to offer such yeah. a wide range of product and letting your customer mm-hmm. choose. Like, I mean, my kids' school have an artist shop and for the oh, right. kids and parents and stuff to choose what they want rather than the school doing like a, a run of, you know, a hundred shirts in various sizes, um, mm-hmm. they can choose like endless uh, silhouettes and colorways and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. Wow. You mentioned earlier, like threadless, you know, it didn't start intentionally or it was a side project, which, which I love. I, that's anything I've done has been a side project that um, happens to get some traction or whatever. And, yeah. And um, cause I know you, you actually posted about this recently on, on Twitter and it was fascinating uh, cause you, you had a, I guess the company is skinny corp, right? Is the, the umbrella. Right. And you guys tried a whole bunch of different things. And I remember a lot of them actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was like a cool trip down memory lane to see you must have had a great team together, right? That was just wanted to build cool stuff and see what sticks. Oh man. I don't even know how we did it. It was like every day, new idea. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, let's just do it. And then all night coding and, you know, I mean, we started dozens of, of these little websites with, for based off little ideas and, um, yeah, it's a ton of fun. I try to focus it now underneath the umbrella of threadless. Like we still come up with new concepts, but I feel like the, the hardest part in getting traction on something like that is, you know, the marketing side, like actually getting people to come to your website. Um, yeah. And so when true, you can, very true. if you have a bit of that and you're starting something new, it's nice to be able to leverage it, you know? The web, right, made that so possible. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Like to, to just try things out and without much risk. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the turning point for like, okay, one of these things is working really well. Let's focus on that. You know, what was what was the thing that made it jump to that? Well, so I'd say the first two years and Threadless is 19 years old. So we're talking 2000 to 2002 was really just a hobby side project. I was working a full-time job when I quit my job, started skinny corp. And the idea was that we would build websites for clients. So we actually were a web consultancy firm for a long time and we built websites for like Kohler, Office Depot, McDonald's. And we ended up doing a lot of the agency work here in Chicago mostly with flash actually because well, yeah, a lot of sure. agencies they want to do flash projects but they don't have any flash talent on staff mm-hmm. so we do that yeah. work and then it was in i think 2004 another two years in where we're like we looked at the end of the year bank account we're like oh we've been spending 90 percent of our time doing client work 10 percent of our time on threadless but threadless is really making the most money <laughs> you know yeah so right. then we fired all of our clients um but we didn't realize then that we should be focusing on Threadless. Our thought was we should be building all these new companies. <laughs> so that's when we started all these new internal projects like Naked and Angry and 15 Megs of Fame yeah. and I Park Like an Idiot, and, uh, you know, <laughs> all these things. <laughs> and uh, then we re- were running those for another couple years. 
um, and I, I don't think it was until maybe 2008, like eight years into the business where we said, okay, guys, we're focusing on threadless. It's going to be threadless. Wow. Um, it really took us quite some time to figure that out. <laughs> well, I, I just remember buying shirts from threadless in the really early days. Yeah. Um, and at the time it was actually hard to find like good t-shirts, <laughs> you know, that, that, yeah. that weren't already part of a brand or whatever. And so I just immediately loved it. Uh, just cause you were, I never, I didn't think of it at the time. I, I just knew that you were exposing, I didn't know that you were exposing these awesome designers you know that way i just thought of it as threadless and that's where i go to get cool shirts but yeah before um, threadless my personal experience with t-shirts was you go to the mall and you buy like a logo t-shirt like gap or bum equipment (laughs) abercrombie or whatever it literally has like the (laughs) the company's logo on it and that yeah yeah exactly i hated that (laughs) like why am i gonna yeah i'm paying money to promote some big organization that I don't care about. <laughs> right. And right. then there was music and music is what I wore. I mean, I always bought, mm. you know, t-shirts of my favorite bands and stuff, but never yes. really saw anywhere artwork on t-shirts and, you know, started threadless as a hobby to be able to do that, but never thought that anybody else would share that, <laughs> you know, that concept that, that would also mm. want to wear artwork on t-shirts and, that's been, the, I think, one of the most surprising things with Threadless is in the early days, I was just like, why do so many people want this stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and now, but now everyone's making t-shirts. And yeah. I feel like art on t-shirts, like you said, there, uh, no one was doing that. Mm-hmm. And now it's really prevalent. Um, yeah. You know, th- Threadless's concept is is really interesting with... The, the the contest idea and and the, the fact that you know you're sort of crowd sort or crowd funding or crowd wait what's the right yeah, word crowd, well crowdsourcing <laughs> is what we were first crowdsourcing yeah, okay first kind of aligned with but yeah in in this case it's 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 like good crowd crowdsourcing to me and 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 obviously there there are there are bad examples of it too for for designers and with with spec work and you can get into that kind of stuff with with uh with with some things but like had had there been any controversy with with on the threadless side with that or you guys yeah you know, so, steered clear of it and and were able to treat the the artist you know properly right yeah crowdsourcing is a term that was invented in 2004 by this guy named Jeff Howe and it actually got added to the dictionary that year and he used threadless wow. as the example of what it is <laughs> like Wow! So we, no way. We actually started getting all this weird, like we're we're a case study at Harvard Business School for crowdsourcing. There, the MIT wow. Media Lab invited us. We went there and talked to them a bunch about about the concept. And we actually, this was in like '04 to '06 that it got it almost like took over our business. Like I was speaking a lot about it, and mm-hmm. I, yeah. it honestly, like i don't i don't like that period of threadless because i look back at it and i'm like (laughs) it just felt like we were taking ourselves too seriously and we invented this new form of business and now i look back and it's like we're just making stuff with friends that's it's not crowdsourcing we're just making stuff together (laughs) with friends yeah Um, but yeah there's a lot of companies that have started uh you know i think there's crowdspring and 99 designs were a couple big ones with uh logo design right and that gets into the spec work issue that you're talking about where 
you know, there's a contest yeah. for a florist to get a new logo and, you know, 500 people, 500 designers submit logo ideas and one gets paid and it's like a hundred dollars. And right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think we got grouped into that bucket a little bit. I feel, I feel that, um, Threadless is different because it's, it's not, there's no spec. <laughs> like we're not saying right, right. design a logo. It's, it's all artwork and it's artwork that would be created, whether it's submitted to Threadless or not. It's exactly you know, like, right. should somebody not take a photo unless they have somebody lined up to buy it? Or should somebody not paint a painting unless they have somebody lined up to buy it? Um, it's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, honestly, like, and I think the, the artist obviously retains ownership over whatever they're submitting. And, right. Yeah. And, um, they can go get it made anywhere. But I do think crowdsourcing is interesting in terms of like, you could build the exact same software behind a crowdsourcing project and use it for evil or use it for good. <laughs> like it's kind of like, <laughs> I like to think of um, the way we use it as um, we see a crowd of people that are super talented that we could go and help out to actually help them, you know, get their work out there and monetize it. Whereas somebody mm-hmm. else could start it and be like, you know, how do we use this crowd to fulfill our, our goal internally? <laughs> There's just two different yeah. frames of mind yes. behind it. And Oh, totally different. Yeah. Right. Totally different. And that's what I love about what you're doing. Yeah. And cause you're, you're, you're giving a platform to, to artists just getting a more exposure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I discovered all sorts of things through, through threadless and especially in the early days, like, because there wasn't a lot out there. There wasn't, there wasn't, people didn't have their own t-shirt brands if they, you know, uh, right. And I discovered so many artists through that, which is fantastic. And now a little bit more about today's sponsor. For a decade, MetaLab has helped some of the world's top companies and entrepreneurs build products that millions of people use every day. You probably didn't realize it at the time, but odds are you've used an app that they've helped design or build. Apps like Slack, Coinbase, Oculus, Facebook Messenger, Lonely Planet, and many more. MetaLab wants to bring their unique design philosophy to your project. Let them take your brainstorm and turn it into the next billion-dollar app from ideas sketched on the back of a napkin to a final shipped product. Check them out at metalab.co. That's metalab.co. And when you do get in touch, tell them Dan the Puppet sent you. So at this point, I want to actually want to... I have a couple questions that I want to ask every guest yeah but you're the first one so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so if it Let's doesn't do it. work then i can just change them or whatever uh, yeah. but i thought it'd be cool like uh inside the actor studio style we share some adventure activity stuff just following you on instagram i see like right man jake's doing some cool stuff and he's you know he's in chicago and he's like surfing or something <laughs> yeah um or that's <laughs> probably not accurate but um but anyway, I, I thought, you know, tell us about a, a recent adventure that you went on. Um, and it could be an adventure could obviously be uh, mean anything, really. Well, first thing that comes to mind is I was I was working from Colorado for a month over the summer. And right. our a good friend of mine, Lance Curran, who works at Threadless, came with his family. 
And one morning we woke up at three and we climbed Mount Massive, which is the second tallest mountain in Colorado. It was, mm. um, wow. Over two, it's only a seven mile hike. It's not that long, but over two miles of it, you gain 3,900 feet of elevation. <laughs> and it was just, it killed me. Oh my God. But then you get the imagine. crazy thing about this mountain is you get to the top and the ridge line, the summit ridge line is three miles long. That's why it's called Mount Massive. <laughs> so you, I didn't even know this until after we got there and you get to, you get to the top and you're like, where's the summit? And you're, <laughs> you have to hike a mile and a half along the ridge to get to the middle of a, where the actual highest point yes, is. Highest point. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was awesome. How, how was the elevation? Like, was that? It was I don't a 14 So in Colorado, Whoa. there's something like 50 mountains that are over 14,000 feet. And I've been <sighs> trying to climb all of them, but it's tough. Like, I, I think I've done about 15 and wow. there are a few that require ropes and I'm not really that good at that. I'd have to have a friend yeah. <laughs> come with that knows what they're doing or something. Right. Right. But, uh, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. And is the elevation, does it affect you that like, oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I've been that high up before. So I'm always like terrified that I, the air is I'd very like, thin up there. I mean, yeah. you're definitely breathing a lot harder. I mean, it's not like, I think Everest is what? 28,000 or something. 29,000. Oh so, so it's compared like to that, it's not crazy, but, <laughs> but it's, it's still like really high up there. Yeah. And, um, and you're basically walk. I mean, that's like an uphill, like you're walking upstairs for hours. Yeah. This is, we never needed ropes, but it's the steepest path without ropes that I've ever been on literally for like two mm -hmm. miles. Every step you take, you're gaining like a foot and a half of elevation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even understand. That is insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mount Massive. Yeah. First there, of all, most people great, hike like a, there's an 18 mile version of it. Most people take that because the seven mile version is just so steep. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, right. So yeah, oh, the 18 one, the more gradual, yeah. but the same, same elevation. Jesus. Yeah. Well, man, that for the first question I asked of, of that one, that's, I don't know how people are going to top that, <laughs> you know? Well, it's crazy. We'll see. My next question is, what are you listening to these days? So you mentioned music being a, uh, you know, a inspiration for t-shirts and stuff back in the day. And yeah, there's, um, a few bands in the rotation. I think, um, I've been really into this band called Langhorn Slim for a while. Um, Ooh, nice. we're actually the Avid brothers are doing a like three day festival concert down in the Dominican Republic in February. And I'm going to go to that and, Whoa. Langhorn is uh, playing, so I'm stoked about that. Oh my gosh, that sounds that sounds amazing. And I love Deer Tick, and there's this artist, this Irish artist called Vincent McMorrow that I've been listening to a lot. Oh man, Irish artist, yeah, like traditional or or no, more like um, I don't know, atmospheric and a lot of oh, falsetta cool. type singing. Mm. It's it, it's funny. I like it. My wife and I took the kids to Ireland maybe like three years ago and we um, heard this song at a restaurant and we were trying to figure out what it was and never did. And then Sean, we have a music venue just a couple blocks from us here at our house. And uh, we went to whatever act was playing on our anniversary one year, like a year after that. And it was him. <laughs> it was crazy. No. So if, I don't know. Well, that's a little, that's a little cosmic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's crazy. 
Shazam is great, right? Until it doesn't work, and that's really frustrating. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And if it's like too loud I don't somewhere, even think we or... thought to use it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I always forget too. Is it's one of those magical things that? Yeah, it's cosmic. Oh, which brings me to my next question: Is there life on other planets? Hmm. I mean, I I personally feel like there has to be. Like, there's no question <laughs> because. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm if space you. just goes forever, I mean, all possibilities must be <laughs> out there. I don't know. Right? Yeah. I'm with you. That's, that's, I agree. That's my, that's my take on it too. Right on. And if you define life as like, you know, not necessarily people walking around, but you know. Yes. Right. Exactly. Of there's gotta be. Yeah. There's gotta be stuff out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of creepy, huh? It is actually. And I'm like. Is this a good question for the podcast? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I think it. I think it is on, in that. I think it's it, you good. know, I, I always like to get some perspective on things. Sometimes when things seem weird. One thing I was and, asked, or I, I think I saw this on a TV show or something. This stat kind of blew my mind. Where if you had a road go straight up into outer space, and you were driving at highway speeds, how long would it take you to get get to outer space, like outside of our atmosphere? Ooh. And a lot Whoa. of people guess like, you know, how many days and or weeks even, but right. it will take you like less than an hour to Whoa. drive straight up into outer space. To get out of the atmosphere. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I think like you see like a shuttle launching or whatever and yeah. I don't even, I don't think I even know how long those trips are, but those must be like super fast. Yeah. Like you're probably out of the (laughs) atmosphere within a few minutes on a shuttle. With a few minutes, right. A few minutes and then you're in space. It's wild. Oh man. See, it's right there. So fragile. And then my, so my last question for you, maybe it's a harder question. I don't know, but so I'm, I'm using this podcast to kind of share stuff I've learned. And then I want to sort of, turn the table and, and find out from the guests, like what they've learned. And, and, and I just thought maybe if you had one thing to share that you've, that you've learned some, something important that you've learned over the course of, of your career, which has been a long stretch now, um, you know, what would that be? Um, I mean, a few things like, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, I think I touched on it earlier in the podcast is just how, there's always a creative solution to every problem. Um, I think I've mm. struggled a lot with like, um, you know, you have this something like an issue in front of you and you can't see through it. And just knowing that there is a solution somewhere um, helps me <laughs> deal with that. Yeah. Um, and even within a project, like if something's taking too long, like I think there's creative ways to speed things up or to think of it in a new way. And um so yeah, I just like to know that there's options <laughs> and then also this might be a little dark, but like, you know, you're not going to die. Like <laughs> if your company doesn't do well or something like, um, I tr- oh sometimes gosh, I try yeah, to think exactly. like if Threadless w- went bankrupt, where would I be? Like, it's kind of impossible to even comprehend. And then like, I'll probably actually be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Diff- different but fine, right, right? Exactly. I'm curious what you're, I love if that. you have anything to share there too with your recent, you know, with retiring from Dribble. 
I think you're that last one you just said, I totally agree with. And and that was always something that I would ask myself, like in the middle of a, a really stressful time or whatever, trying to solve something. It seems, seems like everything's going wrong. And, and, um, and, and I would always say that there are no lives at stake here. Right. Right. Like, right. right. You know what I mean? Like, and there, there oftentimes like, and this goes along with client work too, where, at the time, sometimes it feels like this is the most important thing ever and it's a crisis and you're working overtime and you're getting calls in the middle of the night or whatever it is. Like, And and then, you know, later on, it's like it doesn't matter. <laughs> you yeah. know, like the thing that we're working on is gone or something and it's like redesigned or whatever it is. And and I just I, I think I've learned like over the years, like to keep that in mind and as as critical as something seems at the moment, it's probably going to be replaced by something at some point and, and, and not to lose sleep over it. Yeah. That's such helpful advice. I think for, for people like, it seems like the yeah. thing in front of you is just everything sometimes, but you find right. out actually nobody really uh, cares about this right now. Yeah. <laughs> Other than <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And not to say that like we should, discount everything as being not not important but i think no. i think too too often and especially the web and creative world like it like you like what you just said it's sometimes this thing seems like everything but it, um yeah and oftentimes it's not you know yeah yeah right on right on jake thank you so much yeah thank you this is fun I'm excited to be a long-time listener. <laughs> Great, good, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to make that possible. Um, uh, and I just, I thank you so much for being, being the first guest and playing yeah. along. And uh, we can't wait to see what the next twenty years of Jake's creative journey is. You know. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to Jake Nickel for being the first guest. Thanks to Metal Lab for being the first sponsor. Uh, help me out by subscribing to The Simple Bit Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review us. That would be amazing. If you have feedback, just want to say hi, guest ideas, sponsorship inquiries, that kind of thing, shoot me a note at dan at simplebits.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, and see you on the next episode.